Welcome to Daring Two, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world, the conventions they're breaking, the challenges they've faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. Well, joining me today is Amy Williams. Um, she is known as the woman she is impossible to ignore. So I dare <laughs> you to not ignore her because her story around um, the business that she has created over the last several years um, is something of interest, I think, that many people won't have really even thought about. So Amy, a woman that has been recognised as a woman to watch 2020 by um, Ad Age, Forbes 30 under 30, um, the face of the UN, um, she innovates, hashtag she innovates. I could go on. You have been nominated for numerous awards. A woman that is driving the tech industry, which is fabulous within itself because we need more women in tech. I mean, you know, and here you are. I mean, you're like, you know, young, have created this business, have traveled around the world. Let's just actually talk about what this business is because, you know, um, you have a saying that I read, which is, um, eyeballs are of value so your business let's talk a little bit about like what does eyeballs of value got to do with the business that you've created good loop um started in 2016 and um, it's a basically an ethical platform for advertising that does good surely that's not possible i mean that, that just can't be possible can it yeah, an ethical advertising platform is a little bit of an oxymoron, I'm aware. <laughs> but um, I, I, I've always worked in the industry. I've always worked in advertising. I find it a fascinating, brilliant, creative, strategic, challenging industry. And fundamentally, what every advertiser is buying and selling is our attention, right? And there is this implicit value exchange in our industry. When you stand at a bus shelter, and it's pissing down with rain, but your head is dry, that's because the advert on that bus shelter have paid to keep your head dry, right? There is this this value that society um, creates between an advertiser and a consumer. We will give you a little bit of of our attention, and in exchange, you pay for stuff. So the bus shelter is a really lovely example because it's so, so physical, so tangible. But actually, when you think about the online world, when you think about every article you read, every site you visit, that is funded by advertisers. Your eyeballs are the thing that they are buying. And this this value exchange is is what I am fascinated by. This 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 moment where an advertiser and a consumer agree um, to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of attention. And it's a value exchange that has been broadly quite undermined and quite undervalued. When we traverse the internet, I think it's fair to say that advertising is at best annoying, at worst, quite fraudulent and um, interruptive and intrusive and can use our data in exploratory and exploitative ways. You know, it can really be quite unpleasant. Like you can try and read an article and you really can't even see the article for all the adverts. So that's where the value exchange, in my opinion, has has, has broken. So um, my business is about creating respectful, positive online advertising, pure and simple. We work with global advertisers. We distribute ads across really premium publishers like The Guardian, The New York Times, The Economist, Bloomberg. And if you choose to engage, it's always a choice. We'll never force you to watch. But if you choose to give the advertiser your precious eyeballs, then you unlock a donation funded by the brand and you get to give it to a charity of your choice. So the brand gets a, a moment of engagement and you get to do good for free. I mean, I've got to say, I mean, it's sheer brilliance, isn't it? 
I mean, in a in a world today where you know people are more discerning, where there is a need for more trust and transparency, mm-hmm. when you could argue, you know, is advertising digital space is it you know is is any kind of media a, a sort of an enslaver or a liberator? I mean, you're making it a liberator, aren't you? Because you're letting people make the choice about what they do and how they choose those adverts, but but enabling them to actually kind of connect to something that we're seeing come to the forefront, you know, if, it, if it's been heightened, it's been, it's been raised even more since COVID about oh, the meaning of trying to find meaning and social impact. And we've seen lots of companies like have platitudes around what they want to do around sort of social impact, but you're actually helping them to think this through. Why is it taking, you know, a $500 billion industry this long to actually think about something that makes like perfect sense, doesn't it? Well, it's funny. I think there are so many people in our industry that are smart and creative and and passionate and and also a little bit jaded. Like there was a, a study came out from the Advertising Association a couple of years ago that found that advertising is now l- less trusted as an industry yeah. than banking and estate agents which is like well you know, you know we're talking like we're talking the low of the low right a good place to be to be honest Rita and like and I think that has really affected people's confidence in this industry and um and of, of course we're seeing you know a huge loss of talent of the great resignation we're just seeing this real this real kind of absence of pride and I think that it's taking a little while because it's taking a while for us to build back our confidence and to know that advertising it has an important role to play in society advertising doesn't have to be that annoying interruptive thing that gets in the way of your cat videos it can be something that that funds free independent journalism that gives you access to a you know a free Spotify account that makes sure that you know, journalists get paid their salaries. Like I think especially with the with the awful war in Ukraine and, and the way that the Kremlin has been using disinformation as a as a you know a, a propaganda tool within this this conflict, it has exaggerated and amplified how important and how valuable our free independent press is. And that's thanks to advertising. So you know we've just got to get a little bit more confident in our industry again and start to find our place in society. And you so mentioned that, that you know yeah, sorry, Amy, I interrupted you, but but I I do want to interrupt just a little bit because that point yeah. about you know Ukraine. I mean, you you've actually just given a speech recently, or been a part of a, a discussion around this and about like misinformation in the media. But but you know your your sort of vision clearly is much wider than you know like the mm-hmm. impact of advertising. It, it sounds like it is really about helping people to understand the impact that advertising has. On world events, I mean, it's like you. It sounds like a movement that you are trying to help create, sort of understanding around the value of advertising and its role in sort of shaping world events in a purposeful and, um, I would say, you know, fair and transparent way. Now, that's a lofty goal. And I'm under no illusions that, you know, advertising is one of the big things that got us into this mess. Right. Like I'm not I'm not um, blind to the role that our industry has played in creating quite damaging consumerism and 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 really degrading mental health of young people and creating fake beauty standards and you know, really shutting down and and silencing a lot of diverse voices like our industry has a lot of problems and our industry has a lot to be accountable for 
But at the end of the day, you mentioned already, you know, it's a $500 billion industry. And actually, we are in the business of shaping desire. We are in the business of shaping consumer behavior, changing society. So just as we can encourage people to smoke cigarettes and use gas cookers, we can also encourage them to eat less meat and drive electric cars. And and we can champion real beauty and challenge fake beauty standards. And we can, you know, get more diverse voices into TV screens and on the media. So I think that our industry like has a huge role to play, has a huge influence in, in society for better or for worse. You know, it's a tool that can be used either way. So let's talk about your sort of like journey into this you know, into this business and 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 Goodlip's future because I mean, you've you know, you've managed to not only sort of bring that passion to bear about the company, but you've managed to grow it. You know, you've raised um, several million pounds dollars of funding, and you're expanding um, internationally. But you know, you started your career in the in the sort of advertising industry, and uh, and you are known for saying that you were on a workshop talking about freshness, and you said, oh. It doesn't sound very interesting to me. I'd rather much rather talk about like, you know, how we can save water and, and with one of the clients that you were working with at the time, which I think was Unilever, who who are actually very passionate about um, sort of social impact purpose yeah. and, and having, you know, playing a role um, in global issues that we face today. Um, and, you know, from there, like that, oh, no, yeah, this isn't really interesting me. You go off and travel around the world. I mean, that's that's pretty brave. Like, how did you have the courage to do that? Because there'll be lots of people that, you know, maybe are sitting in a similar position as you were then, thinking like, you know, I've always wanted to do something of meaning. I know that there's, I've got a passion for the industry, but I want to do something different. I mean, you went off to learn. So mm. talk a little bit about what that was like for you. Yeah. I never felt brave at the time. It, and I, I, It's funny, people do say that, like, wow, that's so brave. And it's, it's such a lovely thing to say, you know, thank you for, for saying that. But it, it, it really doesn't feel like that at the time. It feels terrifying and, and stupid, honestly. Like, I had this incredible career at an amazing agency, and, um, and I just threw it all away. And I think, I think it's a bit of a, um, a double-edged sword. I have this personality type who you know as soon as something starts to feel a bit stale or a bit boring I just have to shake things up I have to just I have to break everything um <laughs> which can be quite self-destructive but in that moment like I just knew that uh, you know I looked 10 rungs up the career ladder to where I was and I thought I don't I don't think I want to be there I don't think that's interesting enough and I don't think that's that's inspiring me so I just quit and I didn't even have a plan I just walked into my office one day and sort of in a daze quit. I remember going home to my partner that night and saying, I quit my job today. He was like, what? <laughs> Did we want to discuss it or yeah. anything? But I, I go just back and see if they get back to you. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe go back. I just had this feeling like there's, you know, if you don't, if you don't break something, then there's no space for new to, for like for new ideas to grow. This idea, I love this idea of like a forest fire, swipes like kind of burning through a forest, and then the the, the fresh shoots. This idea of fire being quite healthy and important part of nature, you know, burning it all down to see what new fresh ideas can grow. So that was sort of the thing I was in my head. That was the big grand vision was just to burn it all down and see what happened. And um, and like you say, I went traveling. I think that's a really healthy way to to kind of break out of any staleness and any any um, any routine that you have is to just put yourself in an entirely new context. And for me, that was 
um, was traveling to South America. I just always fancied seeing South America. Mm-hmm. And also Chile in particular um, has a really interesting program called Startup Chile. It's funded by the government. It's really modeled on Silicon Valley and about bringing a lot of the Silicon Valley values into um, Latin American culture. And so I, I just thought that would be a really interesting combination of my two interests. Um, so I sort of went down there. I, I went on a course in entrepreneurship. I met a ton of other entrepreneurs. And, and when you start to meet other people that have done it, it feels so much more realistic. You know, they say you can be what you can see. And it's so true. It is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so true when you're thinking about diversity. But it's also just, you know, when you're thinking about changing your life, just go out and meet people who are already doing it because suddenly it doesn't seem so scary. So so that was a kind of life changing moment, really, was being out there and having that 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 privilege and that opportunity to, to meet people like that. And I came back from that trip with the beginnings of the business plan that is today. Good news. Let's talk a little bit about the beginnings of the business plan, because 2016, you know, I'm a bit of a skeptic and I go and I look at all these companies, um, you know, and I'm often advising them like and saying to them, please don't tell me that you're really into social impact and that you're a purpose driven company, because, you know, I can walk in and I can look and I can look around, I can feel the culture, I can touch it. And yeah, you're trying to do a lot of the, the right things, but actually, are you really like if we look at it and I can imagine, you know, I mean, that's today when companies are actually all credit to them. They are now, I think, stepping up more than ever to to sort of recognize that, you know, they have a role to play um, in global challenges, not just in running their companies Mm. um, and that, you know, profit and and purpose go together. They don't, you know. They're not like two extremes. They can actually work in balance together. But 2016, you know, I don't know, taking that idea to to people and saying, you know, hey, we've got this idea that, you know, you're interested in getting as many people as you can to look at your adverts because you think that that's a way to kind of like attract them in. What we're saying is, you know, let them choose whether they want to watch it, but like actually think about what they want, not what you want. Mm-hmm. And and let's give some of that money to charity as well. Uh, you know, tell me about the challenges of convincing people of that. I mean, did you find they were all like, yeah, Amy, yeah, let's do it. Or were they like, "Mm." oh, man, you're so right. Like our our kind of internal thesis is is to treat people online like partners, not targets. And that is quite a challenging idea because not only is it a new way of thinking about advertising, it's also a criticism of the existing status quo. And so going into any industry and saying, you know, what you're doing is wrong is a really, really difficult place to start. So I actually really underplayed that at the beginning. And I really focused instead on the trend that you've um, you know, perfectly articulated there, which is every business needs to do good. And we are a really easy way for you to start on that journey. You know, it's it's such a simple little switch to say you're already running ads on TV or on YouTube. Why don't you just run ads with Good Loop instead? And then every time someone watches, you will fund a charity. And to your point, you know, there's so many businesses that say they want to do good. Well, let's put some let's put some spend behind that. Let's put some action behind those words. How about every time someone engages, you actually fund a self-esteem workshop or you build a well? You know, let's put action behind your your brand purpose. So that was a much more uplifting and, and much less challenging entry point into the market. And that like even just learning how to articulate the, the proposition and learning how to say it in a way that got people inspired rather than challenged and you know challenging stuff along the way but but in a a much more inclusive approach 
And like that, that is the biggest challenge, I think, is learning how to articulate the, the value proposition or of what you're building. And again, I'm building a business that does good. I'm building a B corporation, a carbon neutral business that funds charities from our top line. You know, we are a very, very social business. But I hardly mention that. I hardly mention the charity donation to any investor um, and certainly to any customer. I talk about performance. I talk about growth. I talk about heightened engagement and how the advertiser is going to get better ROI and the investor is going to get better returns because we're doing something different in the industry. And the social impact is like a, a nice to have, a cherry on top. In my heart, it's the reason I get up every day, but it's not the reason someone's going to invest. And learning that is really tough. Like learning that the thing you care about doesn't matter to anyone else is really, really tough. Um, Are you seeing that today? Do you see yeah. that today? Do you really think still that today, that's still definitely. true today? I think that's an interesting you know, thought. We're not, we're not charities. This, yeah. this, you know, I, Good Loop isn't a charity. We, we don't donate to charity out of the goodness of our hearts. We donate to charity because it gives people a meaningful reason to engage with the advertiser, which gives the advertiser better results, which means that we win over our competition, which means that we grow. So like, even I can't claim that the social good is the reason I do it. Like I, owning up to this gray area where you do good, but you also have selfish goals, like you say, purpose and profit driving together. You know, th- there's a lot of awkwardness around this idea of benefiting from doing good or, or making a profit whilst building a social business. I don't think we should be embarrassed about that. I think that's yeah, how why, you create why do you think that is? change. Why do you think that is? Yeah, because surely, I mean, it makes sense that the two go together, right? It's not like one is good and one is bad, or you know, if you only do if you only do profit, therefore, like, yeah, you, you know, it's actually a win-win. I think you described it as a win-win, right? Like, why yeah. do you think there is this like sort of unease or discomfort about like saying that you can do both? I don't know. Maybe it feels a bit disingenuous. Um, you know, I think so much of business responsibility for so many years has been so disingenuous. You, you, you see fossil fuel companies investing in solar energy whilst also lobbying governments to increase the reliance on fossil fuels. You know, th- th- these these layers of corporate philanthropy or CSR that are so paper thin that consumers have become rightly very cynical and I think that's absolutely the right trend. You know, we should hold businesses to account. We should hold individuals to account. When you say that you stand for gender equality, you should also not have a gender pay gap. And if you do, I'm going to call you out for it. Like, did you see that Twitter bot over International Women's Day? Every time a brand used the hashtag, the Twitter bot would retweet with their gender pay gap, which was just yeah, brilliant. Like, so I kind of think this, the I kind of embrace the cynicism as well. Like, I think it's healthy to have a dose of that when we're talking about business philanthropy because you know fundamentally these businesses are there for the benefit of their shareholders which means that they are exclusively existing to extract value from excites from society we can't get around that like we really need to work with NGOs to solve and governments to solve big systemic issues and relying on businesses is relying on an emperor in new clothes but Embracing businesses that are trying to do both and, and, and letting them learn and take steps towards more positive business action. Like, perfection is the enemy of progress. And if every yeah. time a corporate did something wrong, we, 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 we chastise them and we show them how badly it can go when they, when they do something wrong, they're never going to try 
And I just think, you know, we've got to get these big businesses a bit braver about doing, you know, so things with a social slant. So how do you help companies do that? Because I, I imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine that they will either now be particularly after COVID be saying like, this is fabulous. Like, you know, we recognise now that trust is really important. And actually we we see our customers or our prospective customers or, you know, people that we want to engage with, that we, we recognise that they're looking to want to work with organisations that are doing something meaningful or have some sort of social responsibility or, or, or have some impact in areas. Um, do they then come to you like thinking that you are going to kind of deliver it all and therefore their expectations are sort of like, you know, like way out of reach from where they are? Um, and if so, how do you manage that? Or do they come very nervous and, and kind of tentative around what they should be doing? And if it's that, and maybe it's both, so you can talk about both, what do you do to like, you know, kind of like, show them the possibility. So I guess two, the ones that are like, you know, think you're going to like solve, you're going to help solve all of their problems and, you know, generate masses of growth for them, which clearly you guys are doing. Um, but And those that are like too tentative, how do you deal with those different types of clients? Yeah. Um, and we do absolutely get both. Um, and I'll first deal with the the nervous ones because that's probably the easier challenge we do get a lot of businesses come to us that say with all of the black lives matter protests we feel that we should be doing something around you know black empowerment but we don't know what and that is and 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 that is a very sensitive topic and there is a lot of yeah. ways that brands can get it wrong and there is a lot of ways that big businesses can contribute and help and amplify a really important message so they shouldn't be nervous they should be excited and they should be cautious. So what we would say is, right, where in your business, like where in your business are you already showing this through your actions, firstly? Because if, if there's no evidence of that, then unfortunately we can't work with you on this particular case. So we have an internal filter that says we need evidence that this is an internal initiative first and foremost before we'll help you promote it. Once we've got that evidence, then it passes our sort of internal ethical review process. And then it's a case of looking at where this business can have an authentic impact on an issue. So always start with what your business does for consumers. What is the benefit your business offers to consumers? And then how do you amplify that to broader society? Because that's how you're going to find an authentic purpose. So a great example of this recently is, is Airbnb. Their product is a platform to help people find homes around the world. Yeah. The benefit to consumers is that they make you feel like you belong anywhere, right? You can go to a completely new city and you can feel like you belong there. So to amplify that to a social good, to a societal good, they help refugees find safety and a home at a time of crisis. So that's a brilliant execution from, from product through to social impact that feels fully authentic, really meaningful, and, and, and just really, really engaging um, and, and amplifying for their brand and their business, you know, talking about that that sort of selfish lens, right? Pe more yeah. people are going to book Airbnbs because of it, frankly. Um, so that's that's how we deal with them. And often, you know, the NGOs play a big part with those nervous Nellies because the NGOs are the ones with the experts. So they'll help them with the language. They'll make sure they add authenticity and credibility and they'll make sure that the money goes to the right people, you know, to the to the communities that they, they wish to serve. So partnering with NGOs is a really, really big part of getting it right. 
on the other end of the scale where you've got brands coming in saying, right, we're going to solve the world's problems. Um, I would say like, great, <laughs> firstly, um, but also not every business has to have a big ostentatious goal. Not every business can authentically change the world. And a great example of this is uh, Unilever's brand PG. Yeah. PG. So PG Tips, Unilever's brand PG Tips. They are tea bags, right? That's just a mm -hmm. tea bag. They're not going to solve the world. They can't, um, you know, end racial inequality or create social mobility or solve climate change. They can clean up their, their supply chain and they can make sure that they're an inclusive employer. But as a brand, their purpose is addressing loneliness because when you sit with a cup of tea and you go and visit a neighbor or you talk to your elderly relative and you make a cup of tea you connect you get off your screens and you talk to someone you know with eye contact and, and then a meaningful amount of emotional connection and that is a brand purpose that is never going to change the world but it's really authentic to who they mm -hmm. are and what they do so I kind of love that as well like scaling it back and thinking yeah. about you know where businesses perhaps can do smaller things that are still yeah. I mean They've been doing some great things. I know my my niece works for them and she's like, I only just like started working for them and she comes home and she's always passionate about just what they are really doing, like from a social impact, from like the packaging yeah. that they use to like, you know, that they really do mean what they say. I mean, it's great um, to see companies like that. And, and, you know, they were one of your early clients. So, you know, yeah. I mean, you've got some big name clients that, you know, I think, you know, credit to your organization, to your company for actually kind of reaching out to those because, you know, the bigger, the bigger multinationals are harder to change sometimes and hard to accept. But yet, you, you know, you, you pick some very forward thinking organizations and or, you know, they become more forward thinking um, through working with you. You know, it's probably a bit of both. So I have a question. So we've talked a lot about sort of like the advertising and like how it can be a, you know, a force for good, if you like, you know, a, a have a purpose that has, you know, does good, right, as well as make a profit. As you think about the organisations, I can't help wondering that, you know, we were talking about the gender pay gap. It's just an example. Like I get very passionate about that too. Um, but just like the value propositions or the cultures that, that companies have. I mean, they're often advertising who they are as a company for prospective employees. You know, that's advertising, that's branding, that's like a messaging. I mean, how do you help them think about that? And do you guys like think about that as, as you're helping them think about advertising in generally? Or is that an area that you think um, is maybe the next sort of area that companies need to be thinking about at all? Yeah, well, you said it yourself with your niece, right? She comes home proud to work for an organization because of the things they do in their marketing and their supply chain and, you know, in their corporate governance. It's, uh, to me, it is a natural outcome of some of the work that businesses have to do internally, that then their employees are proud to work at that organization and become advocates and become champions for that business. Um, so it's not something we work on explicitly, to be honest. We're very laser focused on advertising. And when brands come to us, they're often coming to us with three different pressure points to want to do good. One is consumers. Consumers are four times more likely to buy from a brand if they've taken a stance against climate change. You know, another is employees. Employees are so much more likely to stay at an organization if they feel that their, their work has purpose. And the third is the shareholders, right? Shareholders are looking for sustainable ESG investments 
the mention of ESG in SEC filings have tripled in tripled, the last yeah. month. So this this sort of this triple attack on organisations from consumers, from employees and from shareholders means that we are meant one of many solutions that they're looking to um, to kind of clean up their, their, their internal processes and, and therefore placate those those key stakeholders. Let's talk about some of your new, some of the solutions that you're working on, because one of them is to do with climate change and um, yeah. sort of ESG. And again, you know, I'm, to- I'm totally with you on this, that, you know, we're seeing this massive sort of like uptake on sustainability reporting and sustainability index and ESG and diversity, inclusion um, and equity. And, and you put all of those things in the mix. We've kind of been looking at them through all these different angles. Nobody's necessarily connecting them together. Sounds like you guys are doing that. You're like kind of connecting the dots a little bit. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing in 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 the area of, of there to help companies. So, yeah, this started about a year ago. It started as an internal question. So um, I've always said I want Goodloop to be carbon neutral from inception. And we've always sort of finger in the air, thrown some money at some trees and, and said we're carbon neutral. But we never really interrogated it properly. And it got to a point where we were like, OK, right, this isn't really good enough. We need to know the actual carbon cost of running adverts online, which I sort of assumed we could find. And then a, a, <laughs> months of research go by and there really wasn't an answer. There really wasn't anyone with that answer. No one had done that work. So it started as an internal project to say, OK, what is the carbon cost of our ads? How do we offset what we deliver? So we created a methodology essentially mirroring a methodology that's internationally recognized for website calculations. If you calculate the carbon cost of a website, you use a certain data transfer methodology. And we just we just nicked that, basically. And we, we looked at how we data, use data transfer to deliver adverts. And that meant that we could then confidently say we were carbon neutral and started going out to our clients saying, you know, update. We've now got this methodology. So don't worry. Good loop is fully carbon neutral. And they go, well, how'd you do that then? <laughs> that sounds quite good. Um, so it was it was sort of a, a bit of a startup pivot moment where we said, oh, we've actually built something here that other businesses could benefit from. So we spun it out to its own product. And it's really simply, it's just like a tracking tag that you append to your digital campaigns, like a viewability tag. It's just a one by one pixel. It tracks data transfer and then it carbon offsets in real time. So any advertiser can use it on any digital campaign and it will mean that the full campaign is is measured and offset. Um, And the measurement piece is really important because offsetting is obviously the absolute minimum. What we should be doing is actually reducing our carbon emissions. So buying on publishers that use carbon neutral servers, buying, you know, at times of day when the electricity grid is more renewable, buying on, you know, using lighter file sizes to reduce the data transmission and to reduce the electricity usage. So this is the sort of insight that our dashboard can deliver back to clients so that they can offset what they have to use, but also reduce what they what they spend. So I hope that, you know, as the listeners are listening to that piece, that they go back and play that again, because there are there are a number of um organizations out there right now that are feeling very nervous about their commitment to hit the targets of zero emissions and I think you've just given them a really cool idea of how they can at least start or accelerate um, their work in that area so let's hope that they go back and listen and replay that bit particularly um, because it (laughs) is important so let's talk about you as a leader I mean come on you know 30 under 30 woman to watch like impossible to ignore I mean tell us a little bit about you as a leader I mean, what, you know, 
Oh man, how do I answer that? Um, yeah. Did you always you. know? Did you always say like when you was when you were a young girl? Did you go when you were at school going like you know what I'm going to lead something one day? I just know that's what I'm going to do. No, God, no! I was bullied awfully at school. I was so shy. I was so nerdy. I've got you can't see on a podcast, but I've got big sticky out ears, and everyone used to call me Toby Jugs. And um, <laughs> you haven't got big. I can see your ears, and you haven't got big sticky out ears. I can show you my 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 um. My calves, if you want. I used to get called tree trunk legs. So, oh, like, you no. know, there you okay, go. We'll, we'll start a self-help group. <laughs> yeah. We'll get each other through it. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I think the thing I, the thread I pull between that nerdy kid at school and today is that I loved theatre. You know, I was always the, the, the main character in all the school plays and, and, you know, all the musicals. And today, being a CEO, there's so much of it is about storytelling. And being a leader is about, you know, making people feel a part of your story, making people want to join it, seeing their role within a broader story, you know, and setting a vision for your business and talking to investors and talking to customers. It's the same story, but you're just pulling at different threads and amplifying different parts, depending on, you know, who you're talking to, what your audience is. So that, that skill set I learned, you know, back on those stages when I was Fagan and Oliver Twist, like the today that still rings true. Um, and in terms of being a leader, like, I, my my philosophy on it is, especially as a young entrepreneur, I mean, I started this business at 25 and I am under no illusions that I have very little of the answers. Like So many of the people I'm bringing into my business are more experienced, more talented, you know, m- more expert in their field. And my job is to just bring in the best possible people to give them a direction to support them and um, and lead them, but actually be humble enough to acknowledge their expertise and to kind of let them bring something to the table. So yeah, it's it's, it's less about leadership; it's more just about galvanizing everyone in a certain direction. And did that change over COVID? Do you think? Have you seen like Have you changed? Has your organisation changed over like you know that that two year period where we kind of like all disappeared and nobody knew to like you know, all hunkered down and tried to find who we were and where we were and mm. and everything else in between. Oh, man, it was a tough time. Like, I, I found it really, really difficult. As a leader, you're looked to for answers, and I had none. And so there was a lot of sort of radical transparency during that time where I had to say, we are working to preserve everyone's jobs. We are working to keep everyone safe. I can't guarantee anything. And that's a horrible thing to have to say. And to try and be vulnerable with the team and to try and show a certain level of like my own real experience was sort of the way I dealt with it. You know, I always think about there's that parable about a sailor who um, he's, that he knows around this next bend is the most dangerous part of the sea. And in the first voyage, he says, yeah, it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. It's just gonna, don't worry, we're going to nail it. And then they, the, the, the ship wrecks. And the second time he sells it, he tells the sailors, this next corner is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. But I'm here with you and I'm scared as well. And then they sail through it. Like that was the thing that kept me going in COVID, um, that, that idea. Uh, so, so that was sort of my approach. In terms of how it changed the business, I mean, as you've mentioned, every business suddenly stepped up. You know, there was this huge swell of, of, of empathy and kindness from, from everyone, businesses to next door neighbours. So we got a ton of brands coming to us wanting to support food banks and homeless shelters and hygiene banks and medical research. And, and that was really, really, 
that that kept us all going i think was feeling like we really were helping you know we funded half a million meals to families below the poverty line over christmas and you wow. know being a part of the solution is is really empowering and to your point when everyone sat at home finding themselves and thinking about what's the point of it all well we've got a point so you know I think everyone in my team felt like we had a purpose and we were doing something that mattered and we could be proud of that. We didn't lose anyone. I'm proud to say we kept everyone's jobs. Nobody's jump ship uh, to continue the metaphor. And like, and I I think we've just come out of it so much stronger. But to your point about, you know, people that um, feel like they're really connected to something and, um, you know, have that kind of trust and transparency with an organization or four times more likely to stay. It sounds like you're doing a good job within your company to actually you know, help connect people to something that's very meaningful and um, yeah. and actually helping to create a difference. So how do you tackle the advertising? I mean, you've, you've obviously made some great strides with organisations, but the advertising industry is a, is a massive industry within itself. How do you get to some of those, the people that are actually on the advertising side that, uh, that are running the other platforms, say, or helping them to see, you know, engage with, with those as well as the organisations around this concept of, um, you know, advertising with, with good, with a purpose to it, like of doing some good? Yeah, I think I would be very happy if more platforms copied us. You know, often business, I don't tell my investors that. but, but I didn't hear that. Know. I didn't hear it. <laughs> I mean, we our competitive advantage in the market is that we approach things from a more responsible positive and respectful perspective you know I mentioned treating consumers like partners rather than targets I wouldn't be that bothered if YouTube also adopted that philosophy you know I wouldn't be that bothered if YouTube also decided to donate 50% of their turnover to charity you know if I can use Good Loop as a, as a vehicle to lift the industry up then that's something I'd be I'd be very very happy with and I think that's you know part of our part of our mission is like engaging the industry in these conversations so uh, we work really closely with several of the other ad tech companies you know a lot of them use our green ad tech green ad tech to uh, carbon offset for example Um, and we work with them on making sure we you know find fantastic publishers to support making sure that you know we're aligned on on things like that so yeah it's it's a it's a industry-wide change like we aren't going to have all the solutions and actually, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. So I'm, I'm very engaged in the industry as a, as a broader kind of part of our mission. Yeah, I think it, you will find a way to t- create that ecosystem just from the way that you kind of talk about it and think and think about it. It's about it's about how do you, you know, kind of create that almost like that flywheel effect of you all working yeah. together. It's not about competing. It's about like like combining those efforts and just imagine what we could all do um, yeah. from that from that perspective, right? I think I think you you're on to something there that I would, you know, wholeheartedly encourage you to continue. The one last well, two a couple of last questions. I'd love to continue, but I'm also conscious that um, you know, that we're gonna run out of time. So I wanna there's two areas that I do really want to ask about around that sort of like, you know, connecting and treating consumers as partners. There's a massive, massive focus right now on diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Lots of companies are trying to build that, you know, build that bridge about what does that really mean? You know, you raised the point about Black Lives Matters and how sensitive that can be and how it can either go well or not, depending on how you do it. But, you know, part of this transparency is like, how do we get organizations to actually reflect the customer population who they are actually serving potentially? Because not 
very often um, they don't reflect people that are um, the client or the consumer or the supplier that they are. So how can this help to do that? Because I guess it can in a way, right? By just by like having people sort of participate in, they're giving a voice in a way to what they think is important. It's something I think about a lot because I think it's one of the biggest responsibilities of our industry. You know, if we're going to spend $500 million, we have a responsibility to spread that wealth and to, and to reach a diverse audience and to, and to reflect back to them a, a, an image of society that is, that is inclusive. So, yeah, it's something I, I, I've been thinking about a lot. And it's something actually a lot of our clients are coming to us asking about, especially in the U.S. In the U.S., I'd say it's the number one thing clients talk to us about, which is awesome. Um, in terms of what we're thinking, in terms of what we're doing, there's sort of two layers. The first is at the brand purpose and the charity level. So, an example of this, uh, we work with P and G. They have a brand called Pantene, and Pantene do a campaign called Hair Has No Gender. It's a beautiful piece of creative. It's all around celebrating trans and gender non-binary people within the beauty industry. And we worked with them to deliver a campaign. Every time someone engaged with that creative and watched that ad, they unlocked a donation to Gendered Intelligence, which is an, a, a wicked charity that funds the gender non-binary community. And as the consumer, when you watch the advert, you could choose to support uh, a, a helpline, a mental health helpline, or work in schools with youth programs like educate cool. and raise awareness. So, so that, that's the first thing we do is just like using our technology to connect brands with NGOs and with the end consumer. Above and beyond that, the second layer is how your ad dollars actually reinforcing the thing you say you stand for. If you say that you're, uh, you know, a pro-trans, pro-queer, LGBTQ plus empowering brand, but then you actively don't buy on terms like gay and lesbian because you consider it brand unsafe, mm-hmm. then you're not supporting that community. You know, magazines like Attitude, The Pink Times, you know, Gay News, these these sites often struggle to get advertisers to run because they because advertisers just sort of block those keywords. Um, Vice found that their coverage of the Black Lives Matter movement got 57% lower CPMs, which is the lower price, 57% lower price because so few brands were buying that space because brands were just saying, oh, that's a bit sticky and a bit awkward. So we just don't want our ads appearing next to it, which is completely the wrong thing to do. If you say Mm -hmm. you're a brand that stands for these issues and represents these communities, be in those spaces, fund that journalism. So that's the second thing we do. It's like, actually, if you're going to run a campaign focusing on gender non-binary communities, then we actually buy inventory on Attitude magazine and the Pink Times and, and, and similarly across all different kinds of issues. That's awesome. Like, you know, you just give me some things to think about, about, you know, um, clients that I work with and, you know, others that I know about how we can kind of push that message across because yeah. that's that's really insightful Um it's yeah. quite an easy win as well, right? Yeah. Like, this is the thing I love about what I do, what Good Loop does, is like it's really simple little wins that help move the brand forwards, the incremental steps. You don't have to overhaul your whole diversity recruitment strategy tomorrow. This is something yeah. you can do today. I love that. And I, by the way, the name Good Loop, I, I, you know, I can't help thinking that the 
and maybe you didn't think about this, but it's kind of like the good is like combining like the profit. The loop is combining the profit with the good and the good is the good loop together. I don't know. That's what came into my head when I when I saw the name. Probably not what you meant, but. but, No, it is. It's like a virtuous cycle. sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Using good to fuel business benefits. That's what we're all about. Well, it's been fabulous to talk to you. You are an inspirational force. And I, I have no doubt that, you know, you're going to continue to have a, a, an impact um, around the world. So congratulations, obviously, on like and the funding that, like, you, you know, you've secured more funding to kind of grow the business. Go out there and do it, particularly in the States, because, they're you know, they are, there's a lot of big companies out there that are crying out for the help in this sort of area. But so my last question to you is, I always ask everybody, like, you know, what's your daring to moment? A daring to moment could be something that you dared that you dared to do in the past, something that you're daring to do right now, or that you daringly want to do in the future. What would yours be, do you think? I suppose in the past, my dare to moment would be daring to break everything and daring to be vulnerable to complete failure and the way I got around that was um, defining success in a really really small like incremental way so in my mind when I when I started Good Loop I was so afraid of failing because you've told everyone like I've quit this big job I'm starting this company you know that's a it's really putting yourself out there and when you go to the pub and you meet your friends the first thing they say and it's it's a complete habit people don't do it on purpose but the first thing they say is like what are you up to now you know how's the job going what it's the first thing and when you're in this early stage of starting a business it's your most vulnerable most sore shy awkward part of your life and like it's the first opening question when you meet someone so that was a real dare to and the thing is like as soon as I started the company that was a success as soon as I raised our first 100 pounds for charity that was a success as soon as I hired my first person that was a success so it just felt less scary because the successes were quicker and, and 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 easier to attain so that's something I kind of try and carry with me is that idea of like success not being an end goal but being all these little steps along the way I think that's great advice for you know founders um people that have been CEOs for a long time and people that are aspiring to be senior leaders anywhere in the world and that's a really insightful comment about you know it's the small things that make the difference that if you if you focus on what those successes are and value them um, you'd be surprised how much you can achieve. So, um, Amy, thanks so much. If people want to know more about Good Loop, you know, understand more about how they can be part of this movement, I would call it, um, or want to know more about you and the company, how can they get in contact with you? Website, LinkedIn, Twitter, what's the best way? Yeah, so our website is good-loop.com. Um, and if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, Amy Williams is a painfully common name. But uh, if you put Amy Williams Good Loop, then it, then it should come up. And I'm always happy to, to grow my network and meet new people. If anything I said today, you know, in, inspires you or, or, or raises more questions, then, then please do get in touch. Like I'm happy to help if it's just bouncing around ideas for a new business or if you have questions around green and sustainable media, like whether it's Good Loop or not. I mean, it's something I'm really passionate about. So I'm always happy to help. Well, Amy, you are somebody that is impossible to ignore without a doubt, I think, <laughs> um, you know, and I hope that nobody ever, you know, that you that people continue to actually listen and take 
you know, the, the, the true sort of inspiration and work that you are doing forward. So thank you very much. Um, if you want to know more about DARE, then obviously you can find us on our website. Um, but if you also want to find out about some of the work that we've been doing around inclusivity um, and why it's not just about diversity, equity and inclusion, but how you're inclusive right across the board and to combine the profit with purpose, um, let's move forward, then check it out on our website. Thanks very much for listening. If you liked it, then please make sure that you put some comments in um, and share the podcast because more people need to hear about what Amy's doing in her organisation. Good Luke. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwide.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.